today we are here with Haley Griffiths, and I am your host today, Sarah Avila, and with our lovely co-host, Mr. Joseph Anderson. Hello. And we are just, hello. We're just so <laughs> happy to have you here today, Haley, and happy to have you here, Joe. Uh, so how's your day going so far? It's going really well. Well, thank you both so much for having me. Um, but yeah, my day is going well. I, I actually got to leave home today, walked outside a little bit with the dogs. That's always really nice. I think that's a huge perk of remote work life is being able to take the dogs out whenever I want to. So it's been a great day. Oh, that's awesome. I saw in just like, you know, through my internet stalking, forgive me, but <laughs> <laughs> I heard that you like to travel. So how is that? Um, you know, it, just curious because you work remotely. Um, do you ever take your work with you to like travel to different wild and glorious places or uh, do you mostly kind of stick around at home? Like how does that work for you? Yeah, so I do mostly work from home right now, um, but I have done a little bit of what we would call like digital nomading where I was traveling for about six months and this was a couple of years ago and I would just kind of like I hop between cities and visit friends and family around the world. And that was really fun. It definitely came with its own set of challenges. And it wasn't for me in the long term. Some people like to do that long term. I was happy with a six-month stint. And then I, I'm now happy to be based primarily in one location and working regularly from the same home office. So that's my, that's my current setup. That's super cool. Like, can you just, I'm just curious, what are the, I guess, challenges of what you thought were you know, coming along with this that made you kind of not want to do this as a super long-term thing? Or you don't yeah, have to say I mean, there, are, there are so many. Oh, no, it's okay. I think this is sort of like uh, something a lot of people will experience if they're doing digital nomading. And I think these are, these are pretty well known. One of them is a sense of community and friendships, if, especially if you're alone, if you're traveling alone. It's hard to like have long-standing friendships, right? You're not going to have like something that I have here now is like a Thursday night standing dinner date with some of our neighbors, which is really awesome. And that's not something that you can do when you're traveling and you're constantly moving. I mean, you can do it digitally, but it's not quite the same as doing it in person. Um, so I would say one is just like that community connection and like those long-term friendships. Another one is like energy wise. If you are traveling especially if you're going to do it long-term. And like, I do think six months was like a decent chunk of time, but any amount of time that you're traveling, it can be really draining because usually when you're going places, like you're interested in exploring as well. And like, that's not, that's not something that's usually built into like where you regularly live. Maybe, you know, you have a few more routines and you're used to going to the grocery store and stuff, but you're not like trying to go to as many museums as possible in a week or like wanting to walk around the city because you're not sure when you're going to be back there. So I think it can be really draining to do that much long-term travel as well. And I think for that one, I would say it's helpful to have a, like a longer cadence. I have some friends that did digital nomading long-term. I think they did it for about a year and a half. And what was successful for them was staying in one month in each location. And like that was enough time for it to not feel draining. Um, so that was another one. And then, you know, I think there's also, so it's very, it can be very difficult to live away from your home country. And I think that's something that, not a lot of people 
talk about. And we're very, like, I feel very lucky to be in the situation where I am able to go away from my home country. But when you travel long-term, there are different things that happen. Like, um, where is your residency? And will your country revoke residency, not citizenship, but residency if you don't live there for more than nine months out of the year, which is the case for some countries. Um, and like, how do taxes work? And where are you where are you living and will they let you pay rent or do you have to go with like an Airbnb? And so there are a lot of questions that I think the world is increasingly helping to answer. And there are a lot of companies trying to solve this, but it can still be really difficult to do that much long-term traveling and like living in other countries. My goodness. That sounds really messy and (laughs) it sounds like so much fun and I'm super happy for you to get to do that because I've honestly considered doing that for myself um, since I work remotely for the most part. So that's, that's really good to know and I'm always like just, I have a lot of businesses that I run and tax season is horrible so I can only imagine, yeah, just the struggles of what that's like, so Yeah, tax season isn't fun for anyone, I don't think. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like, uh, you know, people with a regular kind of nine to five, unlike I don't really have that sort of thing. I just, you know, do a bunch of different sort of freelance things. So it tends to be a little bit messier than the typical, but yeah, super true. (laughs) So I have also heard that the word on the street is you're super good at jujitsu. So (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, how did you get into that? I would not want to meet you in a dark alley. Like, how did you get into that? It's crazy. I hope neither of us are hanging around dark alleys to begin with. But yeah, <laughs> I think that's a good point. You never know. Um, yeah, I started jujitsu. You never know. <laughs> I started jujitsu years ago. And I mean, this is sort of related to your initial question about travel. So it's all kind of connected. And I started doing a lot of travel when I was still in school and I'm from Canada originally. So I say university, but it's, it's pretty much like college in, in the U S. And so, um, when I was in university, I wanted to do a lot of travel and anytime we would have like a reading week, which is kind of like our version of spring break, I would be on a plane, like trying to go somewhere. And my mom was very concerned about my safety. My mom's a police officer. And so she was like, uh, you know, how are you going to protect yourself? Like what if something <laughs> happens in these countries? And so I started doing, I started doing Japanese jujitsu initially in Ottawa, which is where I went to school. But I, um, I eventually switched to Brazilian, but I remember sending my mom this video of me after like a women's self-defense seminar that I helped my, my jujitsu black belt organize. And uh, there was like a video of me beating him up and I sent it to my mom. She was like, okay, I feel very comfortable with you traveling now. (laughs) So I initially started it just as like a level of self-defense. I realized that traveling alone as a woman is not always safe, unfortunately. And, you know, I never wanted to have those fears. I think, I mean, some of them are just always underlying, but I wanted to do everything I could that was under my control to feel like very prepared. And so I started doing it from self-defense perspective. I think Japanese jujitsu was really great for that because they work as, they work on like a lot of core things. Like what if someone is grabbing your shirt? What if someone is sitting on top of you? What if someone has your wrist? And so like, those are all really good like starting points. And then as you advance in Japanese jujitsu, it all goes to the ground. And so that's like grappling, like fighting on the ground. And that was what I really liked doing. And that is Brazilian jujitsu. So that kind of transitioned and I, I moved eventually to San Francisco and I switched to Brazilian jiu-jitsu and I, I just really love it. It's like, it's a very fun sport. It's incredibly empowering. I feel a lot more safe when I travel, but it's also just like a great workout and the community of people in Brazilian jiu-jitsu are, are like some really awesome people too. 
That's so cool. Beat them gender norms. You know, you can be a scary <laughs> chick too. <laughs> I was actually, my, my dad had like the same fears, I guess. And so he stuck both my brother and I in karate. Oh. Uh, that was when we were children. And I kind no disrespect for all of those karate humans out there, but I kind of disliked it. And so I wouldn't tell, I wouldn't remind them when I had a... Uh, karate class during the week and they, I kind of may have skipped a few because I I liked ballet better so um, that's really cool that you do that and like I totally agree with the whole you know being a female and traveling is it can be actually terrifying and I don't know I feel like this little terrified human walking around the world but when I'm going through the city working um I I walk around with a taser like a taser and pepper spray in my pocket one in mm. one hand and one in the other so that's so important for females to be prepared and you know it's incredible that you're you're uh, a really tough chick so that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say one of the first things that they teach in women's self-defense is that you have to when you're walking around and like you have the taser and the uh, what was it? Pepper spray? Yeah. Like mace? Yeah. 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 And I think it's called pepper spray in Canada. So that's always what I think of it as. Um, when you have those in your hands, you probably like are a little bit more confident and that changes the way that you walk and that changes the way that you look. Right. So like something that self-defense gave me is that when I'm walking around in a city, I am not like, like slumping over nervously yeah. glancing around like unsure and I'm walking much more confidently. And in the thing that we talk about in like self-defense is that like, I look like I would put up a fight. Like, eh, don't try and drag her into a van. It looks like it'll be like too much. Like it's not worth it. Like it's just not worth the energy. And that's what you want. Like you want to look like you would put up a fight. You want to look like you wouldn't be an easy target. So whatever you can do to get that like fake confidence of like looking like you would be a little bit tougher. And like, if that means you have to carry a taser, and that works for you, then that's great. And that gives you that like feeling of empowerment and that will change the way that others perceive you, which I think is really interesting. So yeah, even changing the way that I, that I like walk and carry myself, it's probably like almost bad. Like now I walk around cities and I'm like, I would like to see someone try, but like, I don't know that that's healthy either. So like, I don't, I think there's probably a healthier middle ground. (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) Wow. Like, uh, have you ever felt like you needed to use it or have you, have you ever used it, I guess, on a person and attacker (laughs) (laughs) luckily not from like that perspective the only thing that I've had happen was when I was still very new to jujitsu and when I was in university um, in Canada the drinking age is lower than it is in the United States so I was while in school legally at a club so I'll just like mention that this was all legal and so I was (laughs) at a nightclub and I remember like I think they had like they shut down the club and they were asking people to leave and someone was someone was pushing my friends and I and like trying to grab us and it was very inappropriate and I put him in a wrist lock and I was just like maybe don't touch us now or like I don't know I said something like please don't mess with us anymore and his wrist was all locked up and uh, he kind of looked at me like I was crazy and left us alone (laughs) and that was great (laughs) that's so awesome I'm I know I shouldn't be excited for this but you know I'm excited that you're at least able to take care of yourself I feel very good about it. <laughs> That's great. So just to swirl into your, uh, I guess, public relation world, um, just curious, how did you get into public relations? Was this something you dreamed about? And like, I don't know, is this your dream job? Or did you just see that there is a need in the market for 
that or yeah, how did that come about for you? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So I, I did not dream of growing up and becoming a PR person. I don't think I even knew what that was. I, I dreamed of getting into politics. And so I was in school. I did a, a joint degree in political science and communication. And I took like one government internship and I was like, Ooh, this is not for me. And so once I had like eliminated, like, okay, I think maybe like the politics and the government side of things is just not fast paced enough for me. I had been doing work in social media. I was like freelancing in social media management at the time. And it kind of led very naturally into some of my, my communications courses that I was taking. So I just sort of doubled down on the communications courses. I wound up taking an internship with a startup doing public relations in-house. And because I had been doing communications as part of my degree and because I had been doing all of this freelance social media management, it felt like a really good fit. And that's what really introduced me to what PR is and like what public relations even means. And so that kind of really, that got me on this path. And once I started doing it, I started really enjoying it. Um, Public relations is all about relationships, building relationships with reporters and editors and anyone that you're working with. And, you know, even people on your team, like building relationships internally with executives and making sure that everyone's ready for interviews and finding different ways to talk about things that are relevant, which I really enjoy. So once I started doing that work, and realizing that I really enjoyed it, I, um, I did want to continue down this path. And I will say, because you asked specifically about a dream job, and I will say that once I started working in social media, once I started doing public relations, working for Buffer in particular was a dream job to me, just because I knew a lot about the company and I knew a lot about the team and I just loved their culture and their values. And so now I would say that I am in my dream job purely because I love the company that I work for and I do love what I'm what I'm doing. So I do feel very fortunate and very grateful that I get to have that experience. That's amazing to hear. And I always just, you know, wonder like for people who I, I'm a part of the internet, inter, ah, forgive me. I'm a part of the entertainment industry. And so, you know, I have like that one dream of being an actor, but I always wonder like, you know, who the people who aren't after this wild and crazy lifestyle, like how do you find a dream job? And you know, like can people, I'm not saying you work in an office, but can, you know, how do people find their dream jobs and like with big companies? And so there's people who dream of like Google and it's like just uh, like really cool to hear that you can find a dream job within, you know, a company and someone that fits you so well and that you vibe with. That's really great to hear. Yeah. 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 And I love the way you explain that too, because I do think that that's part of what's important. Like the, if the, like the factors that would go into me describing this as a dream job would be like, do I feel aligned with the company's like product and purpose? Do I enjoy the work that I'm doing? And then like another added layer to that is like, do I enjoy the people that I'm working with? Cause you're spending so much time with these people. And so I do think that like some of those are the factors that I would say go into a dream job and you can definitely find that maybe, and maybe it's not as straightforward as you would think, but maybe one of the things that I've talked to a lot of people about is like finding those companies that they're just interested in from like a cultural and a values standpoint or like a product and a purpose standpoint. Like what are the companies that you're like, oh, I would work for them one day. They look really cool. And so I keep a list of those personally. And then I know I I have a lot of friends that like have lists of just like companies that they're interested in and that like maybe one day they could work for because they just love what they're doing. 
That's such a cool idea that I actually may adopt myself because I've, you know, I'm just always exploring new um, avenues of working. And that's such a good idea to have kind of like certain goals and things that you should keep your eye out for. So interesting idea. I noticed <laughs> that you. I'm all about lists. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I actually saw that on your uh, blog that you are super big into lists and like, yeah, how is that? How do you keep yourself organized as a remote worker? I guess is. Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think that I have a couple things that work for me and they might not work for everyone, but for me as a remote worker, one of the first like concepts that I think is really important to understand is that your devices are now your office. So like my laptop is my office because that is where all of my work happens. And I do that in my home office, but I try to create like physical separation between when I'm using my devices for work and when I'm using them for personal things. And one of those, one of the things I try to do there is I try not to use my phone for work because I know I'm going to be using my phone for like Instagram and FaceTiming my sister and like taking cat photos and dog photos. So I try to keep those as separated as possible. It's not always easy, but that's one of the, that's one of the things that I try to do. So that's one thing I'll say about remote work. And then just in general, in terms of keeping organized, I do try to keep everything digital. I find that easier for me. So I keep a to-do list. I use an app called Todoist. And so I set up a project for a buffer for the company that I work for. And then I tag all the tasks that I'm doing for work as buffer. Um, we also use a lot of the like G suite things. So Google calendar, Gmail spreadsheets. I use a lot of spreadsheets. That's one of the ways I keep organized. But in general, I think I just fall under a very like write down all the tasks that I want to do, prioritize them into like the top three tasks, work on the hardest one first, which is not always easy. It's like much easier to say than it is to do, but that's what I try to do every day and then automate everything that I can. So if I can have like recurring meetings set up so that I remember to add notes to my one-to-one -one doc with my boss or like remember to pitch someone something then um, I will automate that if possible. But yeah, that's, that's something my, like, I do when I'm working remotely too. That, that's yeah. something I that's something I do too because um, I notice when you when, like you said when you're working remotely, your your devices are your office. So one thing I one thing I've been doing recently is I'll actually leave my phone at home when I like go outside or when I want to go to like a lunch break to go get some fresh air. I'll just leave my stuff at, at the office, which is kind of. It's almost like leaving, I don't, it's not quite like leaving your child unattended, but it sort of feels like that. It's like, oh no, what's going to happen? <laughs> Something's going to go wrong while I'm away. But I don't know. You feel like this massive sense of like, oh, I actually got a break for once when you do that. A hundred percent. And that can be like difficult to reproduce without like totally ditching your devices. But one of the things that I do try to do is like limit notifications as much as possible mm. to avoid that feeling. So like no email notifications on my phone, no Slack notifications on my phone, any other work tools that I might use. Like we use threads and um, like Google spreadsheets and Dropbox paper and like any of those, like no notifications are coming through on my phone so that I'm not like prompted to think about work while I'm not working. And I think that can be especially a difficulty for remote workers and not only just remote workers, but remote workers that work with people in multiple time zones. So mm. like at Buffer, we are in 19 different countries and 10 different time zones. So that means that for some people, when I'm sleeping is when they're doing their work. And that's like no one's fault. Like that's just the way it's going to happen. And so I might be getting notifications at 1am if I had them turned on. So I keep them turned off because like, I don't need to be thinking about work at 1am. I can, you know, mm. wake up the next morning and whenever I log on, 
that's when I can be thinking about work. So I think also just like, how is, how is work coming to you? Is it through notifications? Is it through Gmail, Slack, whatever it is? And like, how can you limit that to the space where you want it to be? I just turn off my phone at night (laughs) and that's that's, that's what I do. But I also, I used to, I used to block my notifications on my phone, but then I found I was like incessantly checking all my apps because <laughs> I, I don't know. So then now that I, I know it sounds funny because I, I was totally on board with that before, but now I just, I, I let my work apps come through, like my work notifications come through because then I, I feel like at least I just know when it's there and I don't need to be checking it all the time. So it's kind of like, it's kind of inverted for me, but it's just whatever works, I guess, for you. A hundred percent. I think everyone's going to have it differently. And then it also just totally did- depends like what are your habits what boundaries do you want to set like and also what's your team like does your team expect you to be responding immediately or are you working Mm. a little bit more asynchronously so I think it's very different for everyone yeah something that I am going to adopt from here on out from it just depends on like the setup of uh, like my client or whatever but I have a separate work phone number and I just discovered Mm. that there is a like it's a, you know, I'm out of office little setting that you flip the switch um, through GoDaddy, I think. Um, and mm. so I'm definitely going to use that because that was a struggle of mine that one of my clients would text me all night long. And I'm like, wow, oh my gosh, me. I'm done. And it was <laughs> like, I, I did your stuff like 10 hours ago and I don't even know. And I don't That's really want to check it right now. So I didn't use it at that time it was for a different business but now I'm only going to use that phone number and make sure I switch things on and off for now on with work so yeah keep that in mind for all of you people who are now into this new remote world (laughs) (laughs) I've heard of some people have two separate phones too like just like a work phone and a personal phone I think I was I was watching an interview too and I don't remember who it was with, but they were interviewing Emma Watson and they were doing like a what's in my bag. And she pulled out two separate phones and she was like, work phone, personal phone. And like, I think it's easier Mm. for celebrities that have so much cash, but I think it's interesting (laughs) that they also feel the need to have this separation. Yeah. If if your company gives you a work phone, then that that would be nice because then you could just keep it that way. I've heard some people request that that if their Mm, work requires a lot of work on the phone, they've said like, send me a work phone because this is like, I shouldn't be using personal devices for this. And right, some companies right. have like policies around that too, like legally. If you're like a salesperson, I feel like you need a, you need a company phone. And some people don't yeah. have your phone number out there. That's kind of creepy. I don't know. Oh, as a marketing per- I don't know how it is for PR person, but being a marketing person, you never want to give your phone out because people are trying to sell you stuff all the time. So yeah, that's a, like, we don't even put our phone numbers on our uh, business cards or anything. Oh, that's good. Oh, good man. <laughs> I definitely give my number out because I have to, but I agree that I wish I didn't. But yeah, I, I mean, I do interviews with reporters, so yeah, I, they, yeah. they need to be able to get in touch with me. And um, I mean, they don't usually text me, but that has happened before. Mm-hmm. Wild. Which is why, like, I have just been learning about, I actually did a commercial for uh, an app called the Text Now app. Um, and you can get a separate Ooh. phone number in, and you can get your area code. And so it looks like it's not some sketchy, like, weird number. I think the WhatsApp um, one has kind of, you get a phone number, but it's, mm. you know, it looks kind of weird, like a weird phone number. So this one looks like a legitimate, like, local 
phone number for your area. And so you can use that and it's completely free just on Wi-Fi. But then the other one that I use is GoDaddy. Um, and it's just what, $4.99 a month, I think. And it's just an app and phone numbers come through and it's a completely different phone number. So it's, I you have should, one You phone. should use Google Voice because Google Voice is that for free, I think. Ooh. Oh, really? Maybe and they I give should. you like a very legit looking phone number. Like I'm actually just reminding myself to copy and paste my <laughs> Google Voice number. I, people try to get my number all the time. And I always try to give them my Google Voice number. But the same thing, it reroutes it to your number. How do you find that? Google Voice? Yeah, how do you find your Google Voice number? Do you just like download uh, it and they give it to you? You have to app? set it up. You have to set it up. Oh, okay. But then you just have a designated Google Voice number and it. You can route it to your phone. So it's super, super handy. Man, I'm wasting oh money gosh, for nothing. Like the best yeah, you are, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like on all of like a bunch of business cards and I just don't have the drive right now to go through that hassle of anyone uh, giving well, my that, card out to. But That makes sense. It, it might just be worth it to keep it at this point. I guess so. But I don't know. I'm I'm all about saving money, so. <laughs> <laughs> this is really interesting. Did did either of you ever listen to the Reply All podcast episode about like I think he talks about like getting hacked and mm. phone numbers was a part part of it. Mm. I don't remember the specific episode right now, but this is really interesting because I feel like one of the things I took away from that is like maybe don't give your phone number out for everything, especially the number that you use for like two-factor authentication just oh, in case. Yeah. And so um, I might be downloading Google Voice also. <laughs> you should, you should. Because like I think we're, we all kind of think of phone numbers as being public information like it used to be, right? I mean, that's back in the days of home lines and landlines and stuff. People just kind of gave out right. their phone number like it was like, you know, like whatever. But now yeah. it's, you know, if you think about it, your smartphone has way more personal information than your entire house probably does. So yeah, I, I think the days of giving out, I mean, I, I feel bad because I literally just gave out my number to somebody. So I got something on that. <laughs> but yeah, the days of giving out your phone number should be over. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, I didn't think about all of this and the verification things. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Now I'm terrified. Oh, yeah. Going to go cry in a corner. I'm just Oh kidding. my gosh. <laughs> no, I think we're all going to like hopefully be okay, but it's just good to be like more aware of all of this. <laughs> Super true. I, as I'm thinking about this, I'm like I should probably go and change my my phone number, my resume to Google Voice number, just in case. I oh give out my resume. They call my. Also, another good thing too is if you don't really want people to know exactly where you live, you can you can choose what area code you want. So not to be scared, not to like be like mm. creepy or anything, but yeah, like I like to. I don't really want to know where in the Bay Area. I don't want people to know where in the Bay Area I live. So I, I choose just like a random sort of standard 650 number so that's another good another good point what another in good the world thing. you're giving me all of these like terribly good ideas and i feel like going in like deleting every single thing <laughs> off of the internet and <laughs> i know i'm it's part of your rebranding <laughs> well i think it's like very okay to just like delete all your instagram posts now and then just like reset like taylor swift did that at one point right so like mm. we can totally all do that whenever we feel like it very true, true, true yeah. yeah which uh to bring that all together i had i heard that you have a forgive me that sounded really weird okay you have a <laughs> podcast or maybe two podcasts so um just to go so you have a business one like with one with buffer and then one that's personal for yourself is this correct yeah well the, the personal side of the one i do do that one with a co-host but yes that one's like more of a side project 
Oh, super. Yeah, and your cool. co-host is from Iceland, right? She is, yeah. Oh, that's, that's pretty cool. Awesome. Whoa. So, like, what got you into wanting to start your own podcast? And what did, like, what what is the premise of your podcast? And what drives you to do that? Yeah, so I wanted to start my own podcast with my co-host, Habby. We started Make Work Work because I had done, I had experience doing podcasts. So I, I worked on Buffer's podcast for a while. I don't co-host there like permanently right now. I'm filling in for someone. So I'm co-hosting for them right now, but I did their podcast for two and a half years and I really enjoyed it. And it really introduced me to this world of content that is voice only. And I learned that that's how I prefer to to talk about things is voice only. And it's like easier for me than doing written content. And mm. I just like, I, re- I feel like you can have some really incredible conversations, especially when you have another person there that like they'll notice things that you never thought of before. So Habby and I had been friends for a while and um, she is Icelandic, but lives in London. And so I was visiting her in London and we were like sitting down and we were just talking about stuff. And we had this really great conversation about productivity. And we were talking about like, I think that this is the, the kind of thing that we would both enjoy making a podcast out of. I think this could be really useful to people, like hopefully, and so far it has been um, to like our audience at least. And so, yeah, that's how it started. The show is we, our tagline is we talk about tech travel and books. So we talk a lot about productivity and our own routines and processes and systems for how we live our daily lives and how we work. Um, We both travel a lot. So she's Icelandic, lives in London, travels just to see family and just travels in general. And and then my being Canadian and living in the States and then also working with a company that sends me on on work trips a couple times a year, um, plus just doing my own travel. So, and then we're both huge, like huge into reading. So we talk about books quite a bit as well. But it's been a lot of fun, and I think it's been great to have another person to talk to about these sorts of things because Habby will, like, bring up questions and things that, like, I had never thought of before, and it will really, like, help me go a level deeper into some of the things that I'm working on and that I believe even. That's super cool. And do you – how did you – do you feel like your work podcast is a lot different than your personal one between you and your friend? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So the Buffer podcast is um, like 15 minute episodes. They're very actionable, super quick takeaways. Um, They are scripted in advance. This is something that we've been like transparent about because we don't want a lot of like ums and ahs and we don't want to not know what the value is that we're going to be giving to our audience. So those ones is essentially like voice acting is the best way that I could describe that is sort of like you're saying something that you've written with a lot of conviction to someone else and like, you know what they're going to say next. It's very, it's very unique. It's a little bit different than your traditional podcast. Um, Whereas make work work is like very conversation style. We'll jump on a call for like usually three hours and then we'll maybe get like an hour and a half of usable podcast content from that. But (laughs) it's a lot more of like a sit down, talk through big ideas, like what's been going on. Um, We do, we, do a lot of prep in advance. So that is something that we do, but we, um, yeah, they are much more, it's much more conversation based. Interesting. Since it's scripted, um, for your, your, um, work one, do you feel like, um, you ever get nervous still like, um, doing interviews for people? Cause I noticed that on your website, you said that you've 
um, done podcasts with like people from NASA, National Geographic and big companies. Is that still nerve wracking or how is that for you? Yeah, I would say yes, because I did not have a lot of experience doing interviews before we started that podcast. And so I, yeah, I just like wasn't prepared. And I will say that like podcasting is one thing, but interviewing people is its own special kind of skill. And like, you'll hear that from all of the talk show hosts that have done really well in life and that are like more famous. And I think that it is, it's just very, very difficult to interview someone. And I applaud the people that do that. Like, you know, both of you, this incredible, that is not something that I do anymore. I just think it's, it's like a really difficult skill. And I was very lucky to be able to interview people from NASA and National Geographic and like people like Ryan Holiday and Marie Forleo that I really look up to. Um, but I'm okay with not doing that constantly anymore. Cause it's really nerve wracking. Interviewing, interviewing is a lot harder than you would think for sure. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. hundred percent. There's some things that just don't come like, naturally. Like prepared. Sorry. Oh yeah. yeah. Getting prepared and um, <laughs> asking the right questions and guiding it. And then one thing I hate about interviewing is I hate interrupting people, but as an interviewer, you kind of have to be comfortable interrupting people. So that's something, yes. I don't know. I don't know if you guys have any familiar with familiarity with that, but that's something I don't, I'm not like a super confrontational person, so I don't really like that, but I've had to <laughs> make myself do that. You're super good at it though, Joe. I think you're doing such a good job and thanks. Yeah. yeah. You're like so smooth. I just you're you're just smooth <laughs> in life though. So <laughs> I try to make it work. If you got it, flaunt it. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. I don't think I ever excelled at, at interrupting. Um I think the one thing the one area that I was especially terrible at, which was like reacting. So I didn't understand how podcasting audio worked and I didn't want to talk while the other person was talking. Mm. This sounds really terrible now that I have more podcasting experience, but like this was mm. this was like three years ago, if that makes it sound better. But like, I remember that NASA interview, for example, is so bad. At one point he makes a joke and I don't even laugh because I'm worried that like my audio will interrupt his audio. Like I just oh. don't understand how it works, which like maybe just goes to show that we were such baby podcasters. We like never had a podcast to the company. Like it was just kind of like me and one other person on the marketing team just ran with this oh, show. Like yeah. there was no professional telling us what to do. It was very much like a bare bones, lean, how can we get this out there? So it was really bad at the beginning. But yeah, I will say that it, I, I, I think I got a little bit better, but interrupting people is tough, like reacting properly is tough. And then I also think like you prepare your own questions in advance, right? But you never know what the other person's going to say. And right, sometimes right. it makes sense to jump off into a tangent. And that's maybe what your audience wants. And mm. for me, as someone who's very type A, I'm like, no, no, we need to go from this question to the next question. <laughs> that is how I We have a down. list. We need to stick to this list. <laughs> we have a plan. I would like us to stick to it. And like, that's not great either. So I think mm. I'm probably not going to end up interviewing people for the rest of my life. But I mean, who knows? <laughs> you seem like a really confident talker, though. And I think, you know, it could come from your communications background, but you know, I could see you being really good at it. I feel like we're our biggest critics. So, you know, you never know. Maybe you're the next Ryan Seacrest, sure. but the female version. <laughs> <laughs> if I were, that would be a surprise to me and everyone in my life. But no, thank you. I think I have to be kind of confident talking to other people to be in a role where I'm talking to the media on behalf of a company. So I will say that's mm, like one of the skills being a PR person. Yeah, it can be scary. I had to like grow High into that one a little bit more. <laughs> very high intensity and especially knowing that like word for word what you are saying could show up in these huge publications oh yeah 
Oh my gosh, I'm terrified. <laughs> <laughs> what does also a, not for everyone, right? Oh, very we all have true. our skill sets. I'm yeah. <laughs> what does a typical day look like for you working in public relations and like, you know, in that job set of that type of person in that role? Yeah. I mean, it's not super glamorous. I'm just sending a lot of emails, really. <laughs> it's like the bulk of it. I uh, I generally try to to do more of like my focused work and like thinking and strategy and like writing in the morning. So I do still contribute to the Buffer blog quite a bit. And um, like I just like sometimes have to write reports and things like that, what we're doing. So I try to do that in the morning. And um, other than that, I am, I'm like in touch with a lot of different reporters. I'm working on a lot of different story ideas, depending on what we have internally. So I might be sharing them with different people. I'm like, and we at Buffer are very lucky to be in a position where a lot of people know us for certain things like remote work and like transparency. And so I'll also get a lot of requests on any given day. And so that means that I could have a plan for my day, but it could go totally sideways. Like if BBC calls, we're probably going to answer. And so I need to like figure out who is going to be talking to them and make sure that they're prepared. Um, but I really enjoy it. So it's a lot of talking to people via email and on phone calls and in, in meetings as well. And, and then just sort of like thinking through the different things that we can share and talk about as a company. That sounds pretty stinking epic. <laughs> Do you have any like... I mean, tips? I love it. Oh, that's... No, I, I absolutely love... Um, that you love it because that takes such a, a specific person, I think, to do that and, you know, to have the boldness to go out and do that. That's so cool. Thank you. I like it. Yeah. I, but I was going to say too, like, I think it might sound more fun because I love it and it might not be fun for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know some people that would be terrified of what you're doing. So I think that's so cool. With that being said, do you have any tips for someone that wants to get into that of, you know, what should be someone say like, you know, still in college, but they kind of know what direction they want to go. What do you think they should be doing right now? Say, you know, somewhere in college. Yeah. So if they're, if they're in college right now and they want a career specifically in public relations, I think there are a couple things that they can do. I personally am a huge believer in doing internships and like doing, I did a lot of work for free and that is not possible for everyone. So I hesitate to say like everyone should do work for free, but I, I do believe in like doing internships and like trying to do what you can with what you've got. So like an example of that is I was working for a clothing company and they literally just expected me to like help people open change rooms and sell them clothes. Um, but I, managed to somehow take over their social media accounts. Like they let me do that. They were a smaller business and that's how I got experience there. Even though that's not what they hired me for, I like still wound up getting experience doing that. So I would say whatever way you can find to do that. And I think for PR that might look a little bit different. Like what people do you have in your life? If you see something going on, that could be a good story. Like, is there a media person locally that you can get in touch with just to start getting a feel for like what it's like to work with reporters and what it's like to reach out. And then on the flip side of things, I think that would be like going the extra mile and not everyone would expect that. But on the flip side of things, I think one like very straightforward thing that would be expected is just like really hone in on your communications, get really good at writing emails, get really good at writing, whether it's pitches, press releases, blog posts, um, all of those things are very, very important in public relations. And that's something that you can bring 
two jobs later if you start doing it now. So whether that's like starting a blog or whatever it is, just having examples and like being able to practice. And like in my case, it meant volunteering for a lot of different organizations or somehow convincing bosses to let me take on things that they didn't initially hire me to do. Um, but however, you can get like a little bit of experience in, in those specific areas and the areas of like working with the media and like getting really strong at communicating and, and especially written communication. I think that would be the best thing to focus on. And I will also say for PR in particular, unless someone is specifically doing a college degree in public relations, and even then they don't really teach you a lot of the things that you need to do PR. Like in my communications courses, they taught us about like, it was, it was definitely for bigger corporations, like crisis communications, like how to write a press release. And like, I've written less than a dozen press releases the entire time I've been doing public relations that wasn't what I needed because I wound up working in tech for startups. So it's a little different. Like I needed to learn how to write really compelling, super short emails. And I needed to learn how to identify what would be interesting internally to a reporter externally based on like what they're already covering. And so I think too, just like that will, it'll differ depending on where you want to work. But if you have an idea of like tech or in the nonprofit space or things like that, then you can kind of start to look for other people that are doing it and see what their work might look like. And that might be like the most helpful thing. That was some crazy good insight. Just out of my own curiosity, um, when you're making a pitch to someone, do you, since you work for a company, do they tell you like the points that you should be hitting of say that, you know, they have some sort of offer like, Hey, we'll pay you this much for an interview or I don't know. Yeah. What is that like? Um, and how do you specifically know kind of, um, the points that you should be hitting? Yeah. So I am the only PR person at Buffer and I'm very lucky that they don't dictate what I should be saying. Um, that's not the same at every company, but I have a lot of ownership over the stories that I'm pitching. And then I just have some like wider goals around, like I'm looking to get specific features or like I have a, a couple of target outlets that I think our target audience are reading that I really want us to get mentioned in. Um, and then I just have like a lot of freedom from there, like however it works. So in terms of, yeah, in terms of like other people dictating things to me, that doesn't happen as much. And I am very lucky. I think that would be different if I worked for an agency because then you're taking on clients and they're like, Hey, we launched this and this is why we think it's exciting. And I need you to get us press around this. And like probably the reason that they think it's exciting is not actually going to be exciting to reporters. And they <laughs> have to like dig in and find, find like a specific piece. And it's like, you know, launching your product and telling me that it has like three features is like not something that's exciting to most people. Um, so you have to find like another angle. So I, I think I'm like lucky to be in the scenario where I can, create a lot of those stories myself and just like be sort of a person internally that's like following a lot of threads and like I'm in a lot of Slack channels and I'm just like watching and I'm like, oh, did we do that with machine learning? That's cool. Has anyone else ever done that? And like those kinds of questions is kind of like what I'm asking and like how I'm figuring out what I'm going to put in those emails. Thank you.